Welcome to the Three P's of Cancer podcast, where we'll discuss prevention, preparedness, and progress in cancer treatments and research. Brought to you by the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. I'm Scott Redding. Today, we're talking with breast oncologist Dr. Aaron Cobain about breast cancer and risk. Um, I am Erin Cobain, and I am an assistant professor of internal medicine and a medical oncologist here at the Rogel Cancer Center. Um, I principally treat patients with breast cancer, and I also see patients um, in the cancer genetics clinic with an inherited predisposition to cancer. Can you describe what it feels like to you to walk with a breast cancer patient through their journey? Yes, I, I think that, you know, when patients get a diagnosis of breast cancer, it really truly is a life-changing event for them. The first time that we meet, we spend quite a bit of time not only talking about the diagnosis and the treatment that's planned for them, but also talking about the impact that that treatment will have on their life and the particular circumstances that are important to them to make sure that they're able to do the things that they want to do on a daily basis. And so we try our best um, to make sure that we are hearing every patient and their unique circumstances um, that they have uh, in order to ensure that we have a successful outcome, not only in treating the breast cancer, but also in trying to help ensure that patients can live their fullest life while undergoing treatment. Can you talk a little bit about current treatment options that are available for breast cancer patients? So the current treatment options that are available for breast cancer patients really largely differ based on the subtype of breast cancer that is diagnosed. So there are three main types of breast cancer. Um, The most common subtype would be hormone receptor positive breast cancer, which is a type that's very sensitive to hormones and the mainstay of treatment um, that we use as oncologists is really anti-hormonal therapy or therapy that blocks estrogen. There is also a type called triple negative breast cancer, which is not sensitive to hormone therapy. And from the oncology perspective, um, chemotherapy treatments are really the mainstay of treatment that we use to treat that disease. I will mention, though, that um, there's been a recent FDA approval of actually immunotherapy treatments for patients with triple negative breast cancer, which is very exciting to see a new therapy um, emerge that clearly improves patient outcomes. And we're starting to use immunotherapy treatments more routinely for that subtype of breast cancer. And then finally, um, there's a subtype known as HER2-positive breast cancer, um, which is really a type where the cancer is defined by the fact that the HER2 protein is in a really large quantity in the tumor cells. Um, And those patients are principally treated with therapies that target that HER2 protein. Um, Treatments like Herceptin or Pergetta um, are common ones. Um, But similarly, actually, there's a lot of new therapies that have been developed in the recent months and years um, for patients with HER2-positive breast cancer, particularly a drug called NHER2, which we're all very excited about and have just used really for the first time in the past six months within the clinic. Um, So we have new therapies that are emerging um, all the time, um, but the treatment really depends largely on what type of breast cancer. Um, And then, of course, the stage of the breast cancer, if it's early stage or more advanced stage. Um, For patients that have early stage breast cancer, in addition to the systemic therapies that I've just mentioned, patients oftentimes will get surgical treatment and radiation treatment as well. There's a recent statistic we've seen that breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed form of cancer among black women. Can you speak to that? That is true. Um, Breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in black women. It's the most commonly diagnosed cancer in women and the second leading cause of cancer death in, in women. 
Um, we also know that black women are actually more likely to be diagnosed with that subtype of breast cancer that I mentioned called triple negative breast cancer. Um, and that's really something that's important to note because triple negative breast cancer is the most aggressive subtype of breast cancer um, that you know is among those three types that I that I mentioned. And so early diagnosis of triple negative breast cancer is incredibly important um, because since the cancer cells tend to be rapidly growing, a lot of times we see patients present at more advanced stages um, when either more treatment or is needed or the, the likelihood of cure is a little bit less likely. So it's why it's so important that we're really encouraging women to get their screening mammograms every year um, to make sure that they're seeing their providers right away if they have any breast concerns um, so that we have the opportunity to diagnose not only triple negative breast cancers, but really any subtype of breast cancer as early as possible. You talked about breast cancer being the most diagnosed form of cancer in women. Is that because there's more screening being done and that there's more opportunities for screening compared to other cancers? Yeah, it's a good question. We do think that breast cancer is just really very quite common. Um, so that's probably the principal factor. Um, but it is true that we do have good screening tests for breast cancer, which is not true of every type of cancer. We don't really have the ability always to detect other types of cancer at early stages. But with breast cancer, there's sort of that unique opportunity because screening mammograms are effective, um, especially when they're performed at the you know recommended intervals. Um, to detect cancer at early stages when they're most curable. Um, so it's something that we really have been encouraging you know, patients to do, especially during this time of the pandemic. Um, we know that a lot of women have delayed breast cancer screening during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and we're really encouraging you know, women and their providers to make sure that um, we get back to screening for these cancers on, our, on a regular basis um, so that we don't see patients come um, to our clinics with more advanced breast cancer. Outside of screening, are there other preventive measures for breast cancer? So um, just actually to address the screening question, one of the things that I'll also mention is I do encourage my patients to perform regular self-breast exams. Um, even though the data on whether or not self-breast exams are helpful are a little bit mixed, um, it's not something that's terribly difficult to do. And we do oftentimes see a number of patients who come to medical attention or their cancer is diagnosed because they have themselves felt something abnormal when they're in the shower or just doing their regularly monthly check. Um, so since there's little downside, um, to doing self-breast exams. I think that's another really important thing um, that patients can do to be proactive um, and, of course, notify their providers right away if they notice any changes. Um, in terms of other preventative measures, we do sometimes recommend that women take actually anti-estrogen therapy, principally the medication um, called tamoxifen. Um, we recommend that in specific circumstances when we know that patients are particularly at high risk for developing breast cancer. Um, so that, that is not something that's relevant to the entire general population, but when we have um, specific cases where we know that women are at higher lifetime risk than the average person, we oftentimes will counsel them or um, talk to them about the possibility of taking a medication like tamoxifen for a five-year period of time in an effort to decrease the likelihood that they would ever develop breast cancer. How is it determined whether someone's at a higher risk of having breast cancer? 
So one of the most important factors in that assessment is taking a family history. So we talk to patients quite a bit about whether or not their close relatives, their mom, their sister, their aunts, their grandmother, um, has been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so that's really one principal part of our assessment that helps us understand. We know that um, in families where there's more breast cancer, that there's probably a higher risk of developing breast cancer. Um, genetics also play a role in that. So sometimes there are families that have, you know, a few breast cancer diagnoses, but we can't identify any genetic factor based on the testing um, that tells us that there's something being passed along in the family that increases one's risk. But other times we are able to find that. And um, there are circumstances where we actually recommend genetic testing for women um, so that we can determine if there's a gene being passed along in the family that might heighten their risk not only for breast cancer, but for potentially other cancers as well. Um, there are other certain environmental factors that we know of that increase the risk for breast cancer. Um, tobacco use is one that increases risk for breast cancer. Um, really prolonged estrogen exposure also can increase the risk for breast cancer. So a lot of times when we're taking history about risk factors, we ask women about, you know, questions about how early did they get their first menstrual period? When did they go through menopause? Um, when did they have their first child or if they have children? Um, did they breastfeed their children? Actually, breastfeeding decreases the likelihood of developing breast cancer later in life. So there's a number of environmental factors, some of which are, you know, modifiable by patients, others are not, um, that we ask about just in our history um, to better understand a woman's risk for developing breast cancer. So you talked about women's risk for breast cancer and family genetics. How does that play into men also getting breast cancer? Yes, so um, male breast cancer absolutely does occur. It is much more rare um, than breast cancer developing in females. Um, but one of the things that's important to note is that when we do see male breast cancer, we really strongly recommend genetic testing of that individual. Um, breast cancer in men is much more likely to actually be genetically related just because it is so rare in men. Um, we have seen a number of cases where it's because of a gene being passed along in the family that may have increased the risk for developing breast cancer. So um, that is something that's recommended for all men um, that, are, that are diagnosed. Um, and any men that we diagnose with a genetic mutation that increases risk for breast cancer, you know, perhaps they even had a breast cancer diagnosis, we do counsel them about that increased risk just so that they can be more vigilant as men are much less likely than women to be counseled about things like self-breast examination. Can you explain a little more about the family genetics and what some of the mutations are that can affect breast cancer? Sure. So we know that about probably 10 to 12 percent of the breast cancers that we diagnose um, are diagnosed because of some inherited factor that's being passed along in the family because of a gene um, that predisposed that person to developing breast cancer. Um, just to first talk about, you know, how we determine which patients we recommend for genetic testing, um, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network is constantly revising our guidelines um, that help us identify those patients that are at risk of these inherited forms of breast cancer. But one of the main um, criteria is that a diagnosis of triple negative breast cancer actually is, you know, a, one that we strongly recommend genetic testing. 
And that's just, you know, because triple negative breast cancer is a little more likely to be genetically related than the other two subtypes of breast cancer that I that I mentioned. Um, family history also plays into that. So patients that have a stronger family history, um, oftentimes we recommend genetic testing, or women that are diagnosed at particularly young ages. Um, you know, the average age of breast cancer diagnosis for, you know, most of the time it occurs postmenopausal. Um, but when we see women in their 30s and 40s um, who are diagnosed with breast cancer, we really strongly encourage genetic testing just because that's a little bit more unusual and not as common to see. Um, in terms of the genes that we can identify, the most well-known are the BRCA1 and 2 genes, um, and they've been described now for many years, and we've been testing patients for those genes for many years, um, and they typically predispose, again, to the development of triple negative breast cancer, although there are circumstances where we see the other subtypes as well. Um, but I would say in the recent, probably last five to 10 years, we've come to the understanding that there are a lot of other genes that could potentially play a role in inherited forms of breast cancer. Genes like ATM, CHECK2, PALB2. Um, these are genes that you know weren't as widely recognized, um, you know, like I said, 10 or more years ago. Um, but now we understand that they may also increase risk for developing breast cancer over one's lifetime. And so when patients come for genetic testing, we're usually not just testing for you know one gene anymore. We're actually testing a panel, um, oftentimes of you know 18 or even upwards of 30 genes. Um, um, to you know, understand if there's something inherited being passed along in the family. You mentioned BRCA being the more common one out there that's recognized. When should someone get tested for that if they already know they have a family history? So do they wait till they're in their 20s? Do they wait until their 30s? Do they do it when they're in their teens? What's kind of the appropriate time for testing? Great question. So um, to our knowledge, BRCA1 and 2 uh, mutations do not predispose to the development of childhood cancer. So we really don't recommend testing before the age of 18, um, just because there's been no studies to suggest that um, children who have a BRCA mutation are at higher likelihood of developing cancer before the age of 18. Um, however, testing can be appropriate for anybody that is 18 years of age or older, provided that um, you know they can, you know, consent to genetic testing, um, have a good understanding of how that information may not only help them but their family members. Um, so we really encourage patients, you know, when um, they're thinking about this, really to come to us as soon as they are able um, to talk about it. And sometimes the decision is made that maybe it's not the most appropriate time for testing, and in a time you know later on is better, and that's okay. Um, we would always just rather talk it through um, with patients and make sure that they understand what options are available to them. Um, the other thing I would just say about the timing of testing is there's oftentimes a misperception that testing, you know, testing patients when they're beyond the age of 60, 65, 70 is really not relevant. And um, we actually have identified a number of times mutations even in women that are diagnosed with breast cancer much later in life. Um, just because it's common for breast cancer to be diagnosed at later ages doesn't necessarily mean that it's not because of a genetic factor. Um, so when we see patients that have a really strong family history who may be reassured by the fact that they didn't get diagnosed until they were 75 years old, um, we still often recommend genetic testing for that individual um, just because um, it's possible that we still could find something that is inherited and that information could be valuable not only for them but for their other family members. 
When we've talked about the BRCA gene, we've primarily talked about breast cancer. Is that the only cancer that's affected by the BRCA mutation? No, there are a few other cancers um, that are definitely at increased risk with BRCA mutations. Um, probably the other one we talk about most is the increased risk for ovarian cancer. Um, so the risk of ovarian cancer is substantially increased above the general population for women with a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 mutation. For men, um, there is also an increased risk of developing prostate cancer. Um, so that's something that's important to know, and we actually have um, opportunities for men to be screened for prostate cancer um, in a way that's a little different than the way that men in the general population are screened for prostate cancer. So it's important to identify men with those mutations um, as well. Um, particularly with BRCA2 mutations, there is also likely a slightly increased risk of developing pancreatic cancer. Um, the magnitude of that risk is not as great as the breast and ovarian cancer risk or the prostate cancer risk in men, um, but it is now something that we recognize and there are select patients, particularly those with family history of pancreatic cancer, that we actually recommend to undergo pancreatic cancer screening. And we have a program here at University of Michigan um, that's available for pancreatic cancer screening for those that are at high risk because of a genetic predisposition. If a patient is at high risk for the BRCA mutation, what are their options if they haven't already been diagnosed with cancer? Yeah. So if the mutation is identified and an individual hasn't been diagnosed with cancer, we really principally have a conversation about how we could decrease the risk of cancer in the future um, or ways that we could screen for the development of cancer so that we'd have an opportunity to at least identify that cancer at hopefully an early stage where treatment would be highly likely to be effective. Um, in terms of women that get diagnosed with a BRCA mutation and talking about their breast cancer risk, um, we do talk to all patients about the option for pursuing bilateral mastectomy, so having the breasts removed in order to really mitigate the risk of developing a future breast cancer. Um, we also strongly recommend that women who have a BRCA mutation um, consider having their ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. And typically, we recommend that you know um, you're between the ages of 35 to 45, as the risk for ovarian cancer is a little bit more substantial later on in life. That risk for breast cancer can happen a little bit earlier, um, but um, really around age 40 is when we start to talk to women about you know having their ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. One of the reasons that surgical risk reduction is so important um, uh, for ovarian cancer is because we really don't have good screening tests. Um, that's in contrast to breast cancer, where if a woman decided that she did not wish to pursue bilateral mastectomies, we'd have the opportunity to use annual breast imaging, not only with mammogram, but actually also with breast MRI, um, which would give us a pretty good opportunity if there were a cancer to develop to find it at a relatively early stage. Um, with ovarian cancer, however, we don't have that um, opportunity. We just don't have good screening tests that are available, um, which is why we really encourage thinking about having the surgery to remove the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. Can you describe what kind of care a patient could expect to receive here? Well, we hope that the care really is able to take care of our patients as a whole patient. 
Um, we want to understand patients' specific life, life circumstances that they come to the table with. We want to hear about their job. We want to hear about their family um, that they care for and that care for them um, so that we can develop a treatment plan um, that really is able to help our patients live every day to the fullest. Um, we recognize that cancer treatment takes a major toll on one's life. Um, it is something that requires a lot of time. Um, it is something that sometimes patients have significant side effects from. Um, and we really want to do our best to um, maintain a close relationship with our patients all along their treatment journey so that we can best understand how to help them live the fullest life that they can possibly live and also achieve the best outcome. Um, the other thing I will mention about, you know, patients getting their care here is that we are always um, eager to pursue clinical trial opportunities. Um, one of our major missions as a cancer center is really a research effort to try and make the treatment that we deliver to our patients better. Um, and, um, you know, in order to accomplish that objective, we have a lot of research studies that we have available um, that are really driven by findings in the laboratory or from our observations of patients that help us make a hypothesis about the fact that a certain type of treatment may be better than the one we have today. Um, and so we are eager to offer patients the opportunity to participate in those studies um, when it's relevant for their treatment plan. What advice would you leave women as it relates to breast cancer? I think one important piece of advice, as I mentioned earlier, would just be um, you know, to get those screening tests, um, to get the screening mammograms annually um, for women that are over the age of 40. Um, and um, we all recognize that there are life circumstances that get in the way and make it difficult sometimes to come into the hospital and get those screening tests done. But it is just so important um, to do that because our opportunity um, to detect breast cancer early has a major impact on our outcomes for treatment. We know that diagnosing it at an earlier stage results in a greater likelihood of cure. Um, the other thing I would I would just say to all women, you know, going through a breast cancer diagnosis is just to, you know, be sure to share every aspect of your concerns with your provider. Um, it's a it's a complicated thing um, to be diagnosed with cancer, and um, we want to make sure that patients have you know every opportunity to pursue the options that are out there, um, and we want to hear their concerns so that we can you know best treat them um, and and help them have a successful journey. Thank you for listening. And tell us what you think of this podcast by rating and reviewing us. If you have suggestions for additional topics, you can send them to cancercenter at med.umich.edu or message us on Twitter at umrogocancer. You can continue to explore the three P's of cancer by visiting rogocancercenter.org.